You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yo, it's not too late to join the book club. We're reading The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. It's a great book. I finished it last week. I was near tears. I'm so excited to talk with you all about it. The week of February 22nd, this month, we're dropping the podcast episode about the book in the book club on February 22nd. You don't want to miss out. You can find the link to purchase the book in the show notes below. Now let's get to the episode. We're all familiar with the various isms, right? Racism, capitalism, classism. But have you heard of Lumumbism? This is the story of Patrice Lumumba, the first prime minister of the Democratic Republic of Congo, and the man behind that methodology, and how he lost his life fighting for his country's independence. I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. Malcolm X once called him the greatest man to ever walk the continent of Africa. Before he was the first prime minister of the Democratic Republic of Congo, or founder of any organization, Patrice Lumumba was an enthusiastic son of a farmer with a zest for knowledge. Born July 2, 1925, in the village of Analuai of the Kasai province of the Congo, he was self-taught in many areas, including literature, philosophy, and he spoke five languages. Patrice frequently submitted poems and essays to the Congolese press and journals. His career began as a postal clerk and beer salesman in Leopoldville. This, of course, was only the beginning. Patrice's desire to understand the world around him and communicate his ideas to others would start the beginning of a powerful, although short, political career. But first, let's get some context. We got to go way back to the Berlin Conference of 1884 through 1885, where 14 European countries sat down and scrambled to pick apart the African continent for their own benefit. Of course, not a single African was present for this discussion. Congo, at the time, was referred to as the Congo Free State ended up in the hands of the Belgian king, Leopold II. Have you heard of him? We'll talk about him more in depth in another episode. At that time, Congo was effectively his own personal country, and the people in it, he treated however he saw fit. The Congolese people were forced into slavery, collecting ivory, palm oil, and rubber for the benefit of King Leopold. Diseases were allowed to run rampant. Bodies were mutilated and abused. Villages destroyed. The people of Congo tried their best to fight back, but their numbers were beginning to dwindle. It is estimated that anywhere from 5 to 10 million people or more died living under these abusive conditions under the reign of King Leopold II. Word of these human rights violations spread all the way back to Europe, and as a result, in 1908, Belgium took back the Congo Free State and reestablished as the Belgium Congo. It took almost 30 years for someone to step in. Patrice was very aware of this history, too aware 
Throughout his political career, it fueled his desire to remain amicable with Belgium. After all, they did step in and some citizens of Belgium still remained in Congo holding positions in the public service, particularly teachers. And Patrice was even taught by Belgian teachers as he grew up. In 1955, at the age of 30, Patrice began establishing an increased following as president, founder, or both in organizations such as the Post Office Workers Friendly Society, the Association of Native Public Servants, and the Committee of the Belgo-Congolese Union. In addition to these foundations, Patrice gained a regional leadership position in the Belgian Liberal Party of Congo. In 1956, he was invited on a study tour in Belgium. Upon his return to Congo, he was actually arrested on embezzlement charges and sentenced to a year in prison. Patrice's incarceration only added more fuel to his political and personal fire. In 1958, he helped launch possibly the most important organization he was ever a part of. The Congolese National Movement, or the MNC as it's often abbreviated. This organization emphasized the importance of one Congo above tribalism, independent from Belgium. It's very important here. Later that same year in 1958, he attended the All Africans People's Conference. The conference left him feeling inspired after networking with so many leaders from all over Africa. His desire for the independence of Congo only grew stronger. At this point, people in Congo were becoming fed up. Protesting in Congo was growing rampant. Protests throughout Congo continued to simmer until they reached a boiling point. On January 4, 1959, riots in Leopoldville resulted in the death of 34 Africans after a rally held by the Alliance of Bakongo, led by Joseph Kasavubu. It's worth mentioning that this rally was held in response to a successful rally that was held recently by Patrice's organization, the MNC. You might want to remember the name Kasavubu. He and Patrice ended up having a long-standing rivalry in the fight for the independence of Congo. Citizens all over Congo protested and continued to protest. Belgian government officials decided to hold local elections to appease the people of Congo and choose their true leaders. Hmm, interesting. The MNC initially believed this election was a sham and was only in place to install a puppet government in Congo and refused to participate. The people of Congo protested the elections as well. On October 30th, Patrice was arrested again and imprisoned for inciting a riot in Stanleyville that resulted in the death of 30 people. The MNC decided to join the race as a true representative of the people. The MNC ended up winning the race in a landslide, obtaining 90% of the votes while Patrice was incarcerated. In January of 1960, Belgium hosted the Roundtable Conference in Brussels to discuss the political future of Congo. But the show could not go on without Patrice, and the MNC argued successfully that Patrice was essential to this process. As a result, he was released from prison to attend the conference. This was the very conference that established a date for Congo's independence, which ended up being June 30th, 1960. In 
In late April 1960, Patrice Lumumba was getting a reputation for being anti-Belgium. Later that summer, Belgium would regard him as their number one enemy, even referring to him publicly as Satan or comparing him to, quote unquote, the German man with the little mustache. <laughs> we know who they're talking about. The truth was, Lumumba wanted a Congo that included a friendship between the two countries. Notice that throughout this entire thing, Patrice is basically the only person trying to remain amicable. He had no desire to banish Belgians from Congo and saw value in true collaboration. But let's not be mistaken. Patrice was concerned that the Belgian government would want to control and limit his true vision of independence for Congo. And the Belgian government was concerned about the large amount of support and money Patrice was receiving and who it was coming from. In May of 1960, at the age of 34, Patrice ended up winning that election of the race that was initially installed by Belgium and in June was declared the first prime minister of the Congo. And Joseph Kasavubu was declared president. On June 30th, 1960, Patrice delivered an iconic speech about the Congo's future as an independent nation. And in a moment of passion and in the presence of King Baldwin of Belgium, he is quoted saying, from today, we are no longer your monkeys. Later, he offered the king a public apology, but Belgium was not convinced. At this time, the MNC held 33 of 137 seats in the first independence parliament of Congo. It may not seem like much, but it was enough for Patrice to put himself in an ideal position for negotiation. In addition to the money he obtained from various foreign resources, the real challenge would be to maintain the unity he established and his current position while the threat of outside movements grew stronger. An army rebellion and the growing tensions between different ideologies and tribes gave Belgium a reason to send thousands of troops into Congo. They claimed the troops were needed to protect Belgian nationals. Okay. During the chaos, the Congo province of Kintanga seceded away from Congo. Think the South seceding in the Civil War in the United States. And this secession was led by a man named Moise Shambi, taking all of their resources with them and causing mass division. Now, why was the province of Kintanga so important? Well, Kintanga was very resource heavy, and because they were resource heavy, Belgium immediately backed them. And this was because of, surprise, their resources. Around this time, the United Nations, or the UN, sent in mediation personnel to facilitate reconciliation between Patrice Lumumba and Moise Shambi, the leader of the Katanga secession. Patrice wanted nothing more than to keep Congo united. He reached out to the UN, requesting aid in removing the Belgian troops and reuniting Katanga with the rest of Congo, but he was denied. He requested a Pan-African conference in August of 1960 for support, but he left there frustrated. Other international powers refused to help as well. Shocker. Patrice needed a way to reunite the country and get Belgian troops out. Against the advisement of his closest companions, Patrice reached out to who he thought was the last place he could go to, the Soviet Union. Enter the United States, who until this moment showed little to no interest in involving themselves with matters concerning the people of Congo. Except when it came to the Congo's uranium. And guess where the uranium was located? Katanga. 
The United States used uranium primarily from the Katanga region during World War II. Uranium was previously used to make the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The U.S. was concerned that the Soviet Union would get its hands on Congo's resources and gain an advantage in the Cold War. So basically, the Congo was now being used in a game of tug of war as a pawn for Western and Eastern powers. Patrice had crossed the Cold War line. All eyes were officially on him. Patrice devised a plan, a secret plan, to access Katanga troops entering through the nearby province of Kasai using Soviet Union planes and trucks. Unfortunately, there were not enough troops to properly execute the plan. Thousands of people belonging to the Baluba tribe were killed during the attempt to regain Katanga. This sparked a cry for vengeance in Kasai from the Baluba people who were indigenous to the area. Patrice had crossed a line that would prove impossible to come back from. On September 5, 1960, Patrice was dismissed as prime minister by President Kasavubu. And on September 15, 1960, Baluba soldiers set out to kill Patrice, but he would not die that day. At this time, Patrice's life was under constant threat. He sought protection of Ghanaian soldiers. He also agreed to accept UN protection in his home until security in the area was amped up, limiting his movements and preventing him from rising back to power. On November 27, 1960, Patrice disappeared into the darkness, heading for a place called Stanleyville, which is about a four-day drive. He was arrested three days later after delivering a speech in a cafe where he stopped for lunch. This, of course, drew attention to his whereabouts. He was returned to Leopoldville, arriving bound without his glasses and with a disheveled appearance. He was taken to a camp where his head was shaved. Kasavubu charged Patrice with five different offenses, usurpation of public power, assaults on individual freedom accompanied by physical torture, attacks against the security of state, organization of hostile bands for purpose of devastation, massacre and pillage, and finally, inciting soldiers to commit offenses. It's a long line of offenses. While in prison, Patrice showed great care for others and concern surrounding the safety of the prisoners and even the pay of the guards, causing a small mutiny during his time in the facility. Support for Patrice remained strong during this time, which continued to make him a threat. Patrice wrote a letter to his wife, Pauline, a letter that would foreshadow the events to come. A portion of the letter reads, quote, Neither brutality nor cruelty nor torture will ever bring me to ask for mercy. For I prefer to die with my head unbowed, my faith unshakable, and with profound trust in the destiny of my country. On January 17, 1961, Patrice and two of his associates, Maurice Simpolo, a youth pastor, and Joseph Okito, a former Senate vice president, boarded a plane where they were beaten and tied together. According to the pilot of the plane, they were so severely beaten that the Belgian crew on the plane was disgusted and shut themselves in the front cabin. Patrice and his comrades could hardly stand when the plane landed. There, they were beaten again and taken to a car. Two days later, Katangan authorities issued a statement saying that Patrice Lumumba had been transferred to Katanga. 
From the moment they arrived in a place called Elizabethville, rumors of their death began to swirl. It was not until almost a month later, February 10, 1961, that the Katangan government put out their version of events, stating that the prisoners had escaped and were killed in an undisclosed village. Okay. The United Nations Commission found it difficult to prove foul play. The officers refused to cooperate as well as any witnesses. The United States and Belgium were creating distances between themselves and the situation. Patrice Lumumba's death was officially announced on February 13, 1961. He was 35. News headlines from all over the world reported protests from New York to Cairo. The world was in uproar over the announcement. What is believed to have truly happened was much worse than anyone could have imagined. During their first night in Elizabethville, the three were taken into the forest and executed, shot one by one. The officers buried them in a shallow grave. Rumor has it that Patrice's feet were still sticking out when the bodies were found. Whispers of foul play began to circulate, and people suspected Patrice died much sooner than was originally announced. The officers thought it was best to return to the graves and dig up the bodies. They dismembered them and dissolved them in sulfuric acid. In 1999, a Belgian police officer publicly admitted to being involved and confirmed the story that was told. He even kept Patrice's gold tooth as a trophy. That Belgian officer died without ever being prosecuted. None of the officers involved were ever prosecuted. The tooth actually resurfaced in 2016, and a complaint was filed and the tooth was seized by the police. After a four-year legal battle in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement and a global pandemic, in 2020, the king finally responded to Patrice's daughter, who had been campaigning for the rightful return of whatever remained of her father. On June 30th, 2022, Patrice was finally given a ceremony and laid to rest. On February 5th, 2002, the Belgium government acknowledged its role in Patrice Lumumba's assassination, according to the Brussels Times. The article details how things could have been handled differently, but there is no confirmation that Belgium was directly involved in his assassination. In 2013, it was discovered that President Dwight Eisenhower had also authorized Lumumba's assassination, but their plan apparently hadn't been carried out. And it was also found that French diplomats in Africa were calling directly for the elimination of the then Congolese leader. The Brussels Times said, quote, in the light of the criteria applied today, certain members of the government and certain Belgian individuals at the time bear an irrefutable share of responsibility for the events that led to the death of Patrice Lumumba, unquote. Therefore, the government considered it appropriate to present its deep and sincerest regrets. To Lumumba's family in particular, and to the Congolese people as a whole, as well as its apologies for the pain inflicted on them by the apathy and cold indifference of certain Belgian authorities. A year before the official apology, a Belgian parliamentary inquiry in 2001 determined that several Belgian officials were indeed morally responsible for Lumumba's death. Patrice Lumumba's death sparked revolutions across the country and inspired the civil rights movement in the 1960s. The city of Brussels has actually posthumously named a public square in his honor. Congo never fully recovered without Patrice. His family and his nation are still trying to move forward without him by their side. Patrice's philosophy, or Lumumbism, can be summarized by the belief in a truly independent Congo, united under nationalism, pan-Africanism, and social progressiveness. 
At its core, it is belief in cooperation, self-determination, and progress. Patrice represented anti-imperialism, pan-Africanism, and African unity. And his life and death should be an everlasting reminder as to what was done and continues to be done to the continent of Africa. Patrice Lumumba died a martyr, but both he and what he stood for will not be forgotten. Until next time. Today's episode was written by Maya Thompson, recorded and edited by Andre White. If you liked today's episode, consider leaving a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening to. It goes a long way. I promise. I appreciate and love you all. Peace.